0: You know, when I uh, think just recently my granddaughter, who's now over two years old, but when she was approaching her first birthday, she began taking her first steps. And we've got a video at home that shows her standing in the bedroom, kind of shaking a little bit, and uncertain, and her dad is prodding her on. Come on, you can do it, you can do it. And she takes this little half step and says, No, you can do better than that, take a whole step. And so finally she does take a second step, and she's still on her feet, but she's starting to wobble, and then, bam, she falls on her little bottom. And she doesn't cry. She just realizes, well, that didn't work the way I thought it was going to work. But why was she trying to walk? I submit to you that the reason she wanted to walk is because she saw her parents and other adults walking. And she knew inherently, somehow, and so it is with all of us, that that is what we're supposed to do. She was learning that crawling around wasn't as efficient as it would be if she were able to walk. And once she got to master that walking skill, there was no holding her back. Gates had to be put everywhere to prevent her from going in places where she needed not to go or it would be dangerous for her to go. But she was learning, she was growing in that ability. And then she began not only to walk but to run. It was a cute little waddle at first. And then it became, wow, she's really fast, you've got to keep up with her. And it became more and more difficult to do that. That's the way learning happens for all of us. You start with the basics and you move forward and you grow in that understanding of how to maneuver, how to grow in that talent of walking throughout life running paul has a great deal to say today and not only in this portion that we'll be starting with but in other portions of the new testament where paul elaborates on this skill of walking in christ beginning with chapter 4 verse 1 we'll read through the first 12 verses together and that's pretty much where we're going to be for the remainder of our time so turn there First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning with verse one, where Paul says, "This finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus." For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should show, or should know rather, how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned and testified to you for god did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but god who has also given us his holy spirit but concerning brotherly love you have no need that i should write to you for you yourselves are taught by god to love one another and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all macedonia But we urge you, brother, that you increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside. And that you may lack nothing. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we desire today, Lord God, to hear from you. So let Your Spirit move in our hearts. Open our ears to hear what Your Spirit is saying to the church here this morning. Open our hearts to receive and to apply that which You speak through Your Word to us. In Jesus' holy name, Amen. Take note of the fact that Paul says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. What's he talking about abounding more and more in? Well, that comes from what he had just said at the end of chapter 3, where he talks about the fact that we are expected by the Lord to increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as Paul says he did with them. Paul says we are to abound in love. He urges us to and exhorts us to do that, abound in love. He says later on, to do it more and more, aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, that you may increase more and more in verse 10 in those wonderful, wonderful characteristics of the way we are to be with regard to our walk with God. My prayer daily is that I might walk with Him. As Adam walked... In the cool of the day, I want the Lord to walk with me side by side in fellowship with Him. I've mentioned this before and I repeat it again. I want Him to go before me as a light to my path, to lead me in the way that I should go. I also want the Lord to walk behind me, to be my rear guard, to protect me from anyone, anything that might attack from a place where I would not be able to observe the oncoming approach of the enemy i also want the lord to allow me to stand upon that solid rock which is christ jesus our lord our sure foundation i also want the lord to cover me as a hen covers her chicks in the shadow of his wings and then i know that i am fully prepared and protected And I'm sure that God does these things when I invite Him to do that. And I encourage you, all of you, to do the same every day. Start your day imploring that the Lord would surround you with Himself. But not only that you would be surrounded by Him, but that, of course, with His Holy Spirit in you, He is in you to help you to do all that He expects of you. In the portion that we just read this morning, there's one section that says, We are to do what He suggests here so that we would be doing the will of God. It is His will. Verse 3. It is the will of God, your sanctification. That's something that... Well, Matthew spoke of that this morning. We read about or sang about that in one of the hymns that we did today. He spoke in the song that we started with step by step, talking about walking with God and being in the center of God's will and pleasing God. It is very, very important that we understand how we are to accomplish such things. And it all centers around how we walk. So again, as we talked about last time, we are to be seated in the heavenly places to receive the blessings that God has in Christ Jesus for all of us. We are to stand against the wiles of the enemy by putting on the whole armor of God. But emphatically speaking, Paul refers to this concept of walking in Christ Jesus in a very serious tone of voice. I want to submit to you that we should never take that at all without making every effort to obey. It's not that God is commanding us to do this, but it's for our own benefit. So let us learn how to walk, like the new babe or toddler beginning to take his or her first steps. Ephesians chapter 5, last time, we looked at. It has to do with walking and that walking is to be done in a way that brings glory to God, in good works. We're to walk in them. We talked about that the last time. This time we're going to also be talking about how to walk, as I said earlier, but it is in several other places that we're going to go to find out how we are to walk. Here in chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, Paul tells us that we are to walk, to please God. And he emphasizes the fact that we need to know how to do that. The first thing I want to take note of is the fact that he tells us we are to walk in a way that pleases Him. in Romans chapter 6, Turn there with me to chapter 6 of the book of Romans, verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says this, Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we must also walk in the newness of life. The reality of this truth should be obvious to all of us. Newness of life. What does Paul mean by that? You're born again if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have been renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. And you're to walk in that newness of life. It is to be seen by others. I am truly a born-again believer in Jesus Christ Old things are passed away, all things have been made new. Paul tells us that we're to walk in that newness of life, that others might see, observe, that there is something different in our lives that they would want to have as a result of what they see. So there's an important aspect of walking in this sense, in newness of life, not only for our benefit, but for the benefit of others around us. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we see that Paul is also speaking very, very clearly to us about how we should walk. Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we're to walk in newness of life and we're to walk in the Spirit. How do we do that? It's simple. You just simply trust Him. He gives you the Spirit of God. He enables you by His Spirit to walk in the Spirit. And what's the result of walking in the Spirit? He told us in verse 22 again, it's a matter of just being able to bear fruit. Walking in the Spirit produces fruit. What is that fruit? Verse 22 again. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Walk in the Spirit and you will have the fruit of the Spirit in your life. How important is that? It's like taking your first steps. Unstable? Perhaps you fall from time to time? But you are going to get up and try again. Bear fruit. It's an effort on our part to do so. That is critically important as we continue our life in Christ Jesus. We need to bear fruit. That's what God's will is for us. All of these things that we're going to be talking about today, the how-tos of walking in Christ, are God's will for us. Colossians four, five. Paul tells us there Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom. Toward those who are outside. He means those who are unbelievers. You're given wisdom from on high. It's not the same kind of wisdom that the world thinks of. When the world thinks of wisdom, there's a godly wisdom and there is a worldly wisdom. We must never confuse the two. Worldly wisdom says there is no God. Worldly wisdom says you can do things, whatever you want to do, and if it pleases you to do so, just go for it. A pastor friend of mine who is no longer with us was talking about the attitude of some people that I can do anything, it doesn't matter what I do. He suggested that perhaps he wouldn't mind if the pastor took a swing at him and clocked him one right in the center of his face because it feels good. I can do anything I want to do. No consequence. Oh, there's consequence, isn't there? There always is a consequence. Worldly wisdom, godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom says, everything is okay. I'm my own person. Godly wisdom says, I have to be obedient to my God. In all my ways, acknowledging Him. Seek godly wisdom. The book of Proverbs is full of the message of the wisdom of God and how we should apply ourselves to that. Wisdom cries out, this Proverbs writer says, Come, come unto me. It is an offer that he makes. Take advantage of it. Godly wisdom also cries out, Come on over here. Bitter water is sweet. Don't listen to worldly wisdom. Listen to the God who created wisdom who is wisdom and wants us to have the same opportunity to know His wisdom, seek wisdom with all your heart, desire it, He'll give it. Colossians five four five 5 was a very wonderful example of what God wants for us. It's His will. It's His will. But it's not only that which is his will. Take a look at first John chapter one, verse seven. First John chapter one verse seven says this But if you walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. He begins that portion with, in chapter 1 verse 5, this word, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So when Paul says, or John rather says this in this case, walk in the light, what's he suggesting? Walk in Christ. Walk in your Lord, in his presence, because he is light. When you are walking in the light, you are walking with Him. And there is no darkness at all when you are in Christ Jesus, when you are walking in His light. And that's why I suggested earlier that it's so important for us to desire that He lead us as we walk because He does shine His light before us. The path is lit before us so that we can see where there are stumps and stones that would hinder our walk. We won't stumble or fall if we have the light of Christ shining upon them so that we can avoid those things that the enemy may put on our path, that our flesh may desire. Paul warned in this portion of Thessalonians that we are to not be seeking after the passion of lusts like the Gentiles who do not know God. How important is that? Oh, it's so very important. We need to be very careful. Our flesh can indeed get in the way of our walking with Christ. Don't let it happen. Learn to walk in a way that will please the Lord. He also says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Going down to verse 7, he says, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. So we're to be walking in holiness. How do we do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. He imparts unto us His righteousness. And He makes it so that we can live lives of holiness if we truly are willing to walk in sanctification. One of the things that Matt again spoke of this morning in the prayer that he spoke was the need for us to understand we are sanctified. It is an important aspect of who we are and what God has done for us in this walk that we are walking. John 17, the prayer of Jesus tells us how to walk in sanctification, in holiness. By the way, sanctification is just another way of saying set apart unto God. And that means we are holy because we are sanctified. But how did we become sanctified? Are we truly sanctified? Yes, if you are in Christ. Yes, if you allowed Christ to dwell in you through His Spirit. Yes, if you rely on Him to lead you. Yes, if you do not quench the Holy Spirit by following after the lust of your flesh. Yes, if you do not grieve the Holy Spirit by falling into sin and not repenting. Yes, if you follow the example of Christ as He gives in His priestly prayer in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. If you turn there with me, you'll see what I'm talking about. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 17. Jesus is crying out to His Father, Sanctify them by Your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus had said earlier, the truth shall set you free. And don't you want to be free? His promise is that you'll not only be free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be set apart. You'll have a liberty to obey the commands of God that the world cannot know. And not a liberty to sin, but a liberty to come unto Him, to enter into His throne of grace and mercy and lay your petitions at His feet, the liberty to serve Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the freedom to do His will, the freedom to live for Him, to walk with Him. Jesus says it's the truth that does this sanctification. And what does He say is the source of the truth? His Word. His Word is truth, He tells us. Read it again. Sanctify them by by Your truth. He's praying to His Father and then He says, Your Word is truth. Well, if you look at John's Gospel again in chapter 1 of John's Gospel, He tells us, What he means by that, the Word is the Son of God. He is the very Word of God Himself. He is truth. That's why he said, I am the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. He is truth. He is the Word. And it is the Word that sanctifies us. It is the truth that He is that makes us holy. Know His Word, people. Study His Word. Believe His Word, trust in His Word, acknowledge His Word, live His Word, and you will be in His will. You will know how to please God when you walk in such a way as these that we've suggested here. Walk in the newness of life, walk in love, walk in good works, walk in holiness, walk in the Spirit. Going back again to one of John's letters, John writes three very short letters. And it's the third letter of John that I wish to turn to now. Third John, there's only one chapter, but it's verse 4 that we want to look at. We'll begin with verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. So let's be mindful of the fact that it is necessary for us to walk in His truth. Going back again to 1 Thessalonians. The last verse that we read. Verse 12 of chapter 4. That you may walk properly. How are we to walk? If we don't walk properly, we won't represent Him well. It is so that others may see. My granddaughter walked, having taken her first steps. She stumbled and fell. But her father was there encouraging her to try again. Friends, she learned how to walk properly by trying over and over again until she got it right. So it is with us. So how long have you been walking? How long did it take you to walk? Are you still learning to walk? I submit to you that we all are still learning. It's an ongoing process for every one of us. Some are better at it than others. Some are still taking baby steps. You can do better. We all can. Paul tells his followers in Thessalonian church, You're loving one another. Do it better. Do it more abundantly. Keep on doing what you're doing, but increase your effort in that regard. Again, going back to verse 12 of chapter 3, May the Lord make you to increase and abound in love. Concerning brotherly love, he says in verse 9 of chapter 4, you have no need that I should write to you. I think I can safely say that about you folks here in this place. You have no need for me to say, love one another, because you do. That's wonderful. It's great to see. I'm encouraged by that. Every time I see the interaction between you and your friends here in these pews that are occupied by so many people who love the Lord. And it shines brightly. It's a wonderful thing to see from my perspective as you're fellowshipping with one another. That's one of the reasons I like to have the greeting time go on for even longer than it does, because I know there's ministry there. And sometimes I perhaps may cut it too short, I know. But you don't have to stop at the greeting time on Sunday morning. You can do it every day of the week, 24-7, it's available to all of us. I never have objected to anybody calling me in the middle of the night with good things to share. I happen to have been blessed by some who had actually done that, called me at 2 o'clock in the morning to tell me what the Lord had just done for them. And we rejoiced in the Lord together, even at that hour. It didn't matter what time it was. It was good. Every once in a while I wake up in the middle of the night and I think of things that I probably shouldn't be thinking of and I turn my mind instead to the Lord and I pray for somebody and I fall back asleep without difficulty. If I don't remember to pray for somebody, I might be awake for two hours. God gives us sleep. He gives us beloved sleep. But if He wakes us in the middle of the night, it may be for a reason, to minister to somebody through prayer. They may not know it, but if it is something that you have been given from God as a revelation about that individual, why not call that individual and say, Gu- Guess what? God just told me something that I believe was absolutely for you because I think that God wants you to know His love. They may h- hang up on you. I don't know, but I wouldn't. Check it out. See if it works. Let me know what you find. Love one another as He loved us." Oh, what a wonderful concept there is in this idea of loving one another, like He loves us. How can I attain to that? I can approach that. I don't think that I can love perfectly as He loved perfectly, but I'm moving toward that. Paul said it sort of in this way, I press toward the high mark of the calling of God in Christ Jesus. No, I have not attained, Paul would say, but I press on to that goal. I run the race so as to win. I fight the good fight. I have fought the good fight at the end of His life. He said those very things, knowing that there is a crown laid up for Him, a crown of righteousness, not for Him only, but for all who have believed in Him. We are in Christ, and we are taught by God to love one another. Verse 9 of chapter 4 in First Thessalonians. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, as Paul urged the Thessalonian church, increase in this love more and more as the day approaches. Lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands, and walk properly in these last hours, knowing that the time is near. We have light to shine. We have work to do. We can walk circumspectly. In my translation that I've got, walking properly, I believe it's in the King James, it says circumspectly. The word circumspectly means not wanting to risk. I don't want to be taking any risks that are unnecessary risks. It's not that we are not to take risks. I'm not suggesting that. But don't take unnecessary risks. If you have ever walked on the top of Mount Katahdin and crossed the knife's edge, that's kind of risky. It's a very narrow path. But you can do it safely and you're not taking really a great risk by doing so. But if you choose to walk on the very edge of knife's edge, Oh, you're taking unnecessary risk. And there would be a very definite problem for you if you did that and the wind started blowing. And it often does. What I'm saying is walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. Don't take unnecessary risks, but be willing to take the right risk if it is for the sake of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ death, burial, and resurrection to a lost and dying world. Be risk-takers in that sense. God is with you, and you will not be hurt by it. But do it with circumspection. Do it with a proper respect. Walk properly in His Spirit. And you will find He's with you. You'll find that He is going before you to light the path to show you the way. You will find that He is behind you to protect you, to be your rear guard. You will find that you're actually being put upon a rock, the rock that is higher than all of us, a sure foundation. He's made your feet to be like hind feet. He's given you the opportunity to represent Him as His ambassadors, Walking in the world today, you and I have a responsibility as his ambassadors. He's transforming you into the image of his son as you continue to walk in his truth. As we walk, you must realize something. We're sojourners. This is not our home. We're walking toward a destination. And he's leading the way. And that destination is a city whose builder is and maker is God. Just like Abraham. Abraham wasn't wandering. He had a destination. Even though he didn't know how to get there, he was walking by faith in the direction that God had pointed him. And it tells us in the book of Hebrews that he was a pilgrim. A sojourner is one who is away from home. A pilgrim is one who is going home. Have you ever read Pilgrim's Progress? It's a great book by John Bunyan, and it's a great example to us. If you read through it, you'll find that Pilgrim was walking, and all the way along that path that he was walking, he had distractions. He had discouragements that he had to deal with. He had mistakes that he had made that caused him to delay his entry into the kingdom. But the bottom line, the end result was he crossed over the river and he entered into the kingdom because he had a destination. He was a pilgrim who knew that there was a place that had been prepared for him. So do you all. You know you have a place prepared for you. Do you not? Because Jesus himself has said so. Behold, he says, behold, I prepare a place for you, that where I am you may be also. That's our destination. That's our home. And he's allowing us to walk in this world to let others know that that is the destination that we are seeking and longing for. And as we continue to walk faithfully in that truth, perhaps others would follow. Walk properly toward those who are outside. And the promise here is that you will lack nothing. You'll have no, absolutely no need to worry. He provides all the time. Everything that you need. More than you need. And again, I'm reminded, we're encouraged by the Apostle Paul when he says, when you ask God, Know that when you ask, He is able to give exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. Jesus told His disciples, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. This is what God's Word tells us. And if we are willing to trust Him in this simple process of learning how to walk to walk in all of these, in newness of life, to walk in love, to walk in holiness, to walk in wisdom, to walk in His light, to walk in His truth. Oh, how much better it is for us when we gain the knowledge and the understanding and the ability to do these things, and then we can really trust that we're going in the right direction when we know that we're walking in Christ in His Spirit, in His power, for His glory. It pleases God for us to do so. Do you want to please God? Walk in the way that He asks of you and me. Again, verse 1, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, you should know, my friends, walking in this way that we've described with these various scriptures that we've read, if we do that, it pleases Him. It's His will that we do so. Verse 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Verse 4, you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Walk in this. Stay in the middle of the road. Don't go to the right or to the left. Jesus reminds His disciples and us that a farmer takes a plow and plows the row and he doesn't turn to the right or to the left. Why? Because he needs to keep keep his eyes focused on what he is doing. To plow straight rows, you have to keep looking ahead. And if you're distracted by what's to the right or to the left, that row becomes no longer a straight line. Straight line is the fastest way to get from point A to point B. It's the best way. It's the easiest way. Why should we get distractions to turn our plow away from the path that it should be on? Keep looking ahead, my friends. Don't stop the work that God has called you to do. Stay focused. Keep your eyes on Him. Know that He is coming soon. And when we stand before Him, we'll have finished the journey. And I believe together we'll enter into the kingdom. And walking for him will have been so, so very worth the effort.